Branch NMLS number 33041. Rick Whitman's NMLS number 664589. Equal housing lenders. Some restrictions apply. Advisors Mortgage Group is proud to present Indies Real Estate Gurus, hosted by Rick Ritma, the hardworking mortgage guy. Please contact Rick for all of your mortgage needs at hardworkingmortgageguy.com. That's hardworkingmortgageguy.com. Now here's the hardworking mortgage guy, Rick Ritma. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Uh, this is Rick Ritma, your hardworking mortgage guy, and I'm with Advisors Mortgage Group. If you would like to get a hold of me, go to our website, hardworkingmortgageguys.com. That's hardworkingmortgageguys.com. All my contact information is there, and you can contact me from that area. Today I'm joined, I'm really excited about it, Spencer Gray. He serves as the president of Gray Capital LLC. And Spencer, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Absolutely, Rick. Really appreciate you having me on. But looking forward to this. Yeah, I, I, you, you, um, I've listened to your podcast, and you just have a lot of phenomenal information. I think what you've discussed, too, is something that might be new to our audience, but I think it's one of those things that's really important as a, as a it's certainly real estate, and it, it, but it's also not everybody's meant to go own and manage a rental property. Yep. And you give a really good alternative to that to me. Um, of course, none of it, not, not everything's for everybody, but man, what I've, what I've listened to, what I've heard, it's, I think it's a really good opportunity for people. But I thought I'd start with you kind of giving us an idea, you know, your background. I think you're from Indiana and just give us a background, kind of who you are. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. So yeah, uh, born and raised in Indiana, um, born on the, the west side of Indy, kind of Pike Township. Um, I did, haven't had exactly the most linear career path, though, I'd say, which I, I don't think is atypical for, um, you know, folks in real estate sometimes. Um, I've always wanted to, uh, you know, build a business. I've always been interested in entrepreneurship. My, my parents were entrepreneurs. I saw them build a business. Um, but I, I started kind of following some of my passions. Um, so I, I was a music major down at IU. I worked in recording studios. Um, and at the side, I started, on the side, though, I started getting into real estate, um, started flipping a couple houses. And I kind of got this this bug of there's an opportunity here. And no matter what I wanted to do in my career, I wanted to always be doing something related to real estate on the side. Um, then throughout that process, I couldn't really make the music business and opening a recording studio. And I was doing a lot of audiobook production. And I, I couldn't really make a scalable business. And um, But the real estate thing was, it, it was going, but it wasn't... I was getting, I was flipping houses. I didn't see that as necessarily scalable either. Um, I had this opportunity with a buddy of mine um, to start a business completely unrelated to real estate. So we got into the craft beer industry and we started wow. selling hops about 2013, 2014. Started calling up, you know, whether it was Sun King, all the local breweries around saying, you know, you guys, uh, where do you get your hops from? Would you buy them from me if I could sell them to you? There was a hop shortage at the time. And we all of a sudden we got a lot of interest saying, yeah, we'd buy anything you had. I flew, got on a plane, flew out to Yakima, Washington, met with hop farmers, started brokering hops between craft brewers and ourselves, eventually started a hop farm. We're the largest hop farm in the state of Indiana, um, then sold that business in about 2015. At that point, I said, okay, what's my next thing? I love real estate. I love real estate investing. I had been reading books after books, getting on bigger pockets, learning about multifamily investing, buy and hold, not flipping. I said, I want to build a business around this. Um, and I was fortunate. I was I was networking with a lot of folks that were in the business who were doing what I thought that I wanted to do. 
And eventually I partnered with someone who was buying uh, large apartment communities in central Indiana um, and partnered with him kind of to kind of assist in that process, finding the deals, putting the deals together, helping raising the money, um, you know, guaranteeing the loans and really leveraged his experience and track record um, because he was multiple steps ahead of where I was um, to build my own track record to I got to a point I could start building my, my own team. And from that point in 2015 to today, we've invested in over 10,000 apartment units. I've got wow. a staff of uh, just 10 full-time employees now um, buying apartments throughout the Midwest, mostly in Indiana, mostly in Indianapolis, but kind of throughout the Midwest. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun because it's, it's such a relationship business. Real estate is in general, but um, I've always kind of considered myself a more of a creative person and taking a creative approach to you know, putting partnerships together, looking at real estate projects. And so now we work with um, investors from across the country who are looking to invest in real estate, but they either don't have the time, they don't have the knowledge or experience, um, and they want to partner with someone that does have that experience and has a track record. Um, so they can basically be a completely passive investor, but get all the advantages of owning and investing in real estate. Yeah, it's to me, it's a, it's a great concept. I'm sure it's proven, and it sounds like you're doing extremely well. If um, somebody wanted a little more information on it, is, is it your website the best thing? Yeah, greatcapitalllc.com. That's kind of where we have all, most of our information. You can get in touch with us. We've got a lot of educational materials. Like you said, we've got a podcast. We've got a newsletter. Um, in, in general, we try to kind of front load people who are interested with kind of information and resources. We're not a, you know, there's some groups out there that are really just focused on education. We'll teach you how to do all of this. We're more focused on making you knowledgeable about the industry and what you're investing in and getting you up-to-date information. Um, not necessarily going to hold your hand to go out and buy the real estate yourself, although happy to have those conversations. But yeah, greatcapitalllc.com. And for those people who are like me who can't spell, it's G-R-A-Y. Correct, G-R-A-Y. Right. You got it. Because I, I, I misspell everything. So I just want to make sure they know. Graycapitalllc.com and gray is G-R-A-Y. You got it. Perfect. So what's the difference between residential and commercial uh, multifamily? Yeah. So in, in some ways, they're, they're not that different. You know, it's uh, they're built very similarly, at least when we're talking about kind of your garden style, you know, two to three story, you know, apartment buildings. Um, and, you know, the, the management of, of them aren't too different. You know, their things break, you have to fix them, but they're built not too dissimilarly compared to a single family home. What one of the big differences, though, is how the properties are valued and how you finance the properties themselves. And because of the way uh, commercial properties are valued, strictly based on the income that that property produces, and then sometimes, especially today, the future income that it may produce over the next year or two years, where single-family homes, um, non-commercial, single-family homes and properties that are up to four units, one through four units are considered residential, um, and you finance them the way you would finance any single-family home, um, and they're valued based, typically based on comparable properties. You, know, you look at comps, you go to the MLS, what are other similar properties selling for? In commercial real estate, since it's based on the value, it gives us the ability to force appreciation. So we can go into a, an apartment community, we can add value in terms of you know, renovating it, in terms of the, maybe the interiors of the units, maybe we're adding amenities, increasing the curb appeal, after adding the value, raising the rents, and that increased income has a direct 
mathematical correlation of the value itself. And so for today, you know, for every additional dollar um, that we're getting in rent, that equals to about $26 of value. And so like we have a property up in um, South Bend, Indiana. Um, it's large property, about 290 units. It has a model unit, um, big three bedroom model. Um, it's running out. It's a newer property. So it's higher rent. So it's around like twenty four to $2,500 a month. Just bringing that one unit online, we're going to add about $600,000 of value to the property itself. Wow. And if it was valued the same way you, that you might value a residential property, well, you would just look at a similar apartment community and see what it sold for. Right. So it gives us a direct ability to force the value, force, the, force appreciation, which down the road we can then go and refinance the property take tax-free um, loan proceeds and really kind of de-risk the asset because we're kind of taking chips off the table. Big differences that I see, but really the they're made of kind of the same, you know, two by fours and you fix them kind of this, fix them up the same way. And there's not a whole lot of difference between a 10 unit and a hundred unit. Um, it's just a couple zeros. Right. Now this may, may, you may have already answered this. I just want to make sure. So what are there different ways to, to finance a, a multifamily project? Yeah, there are, and it it comes down to really the size of the project. Anytime that the loan size is typically under a million dollars, you're going to be going towards um, more local banks or credit unions that are going to be offering. A lot of times the the terms are not necessarily as attractive as residential um, mortgage terms. And so that's why a lot of folks, they kind of stick in the one to four unit range because you actually get better terms, you, whether you're going for an FHA loan. There's a lot of other options um, that are made for you know residential home buyers. Once you get out of that five unit range, but you don't have a loan size up to a million dollars, you're really talking to you know, more portfolio lenders, um, you know, smaller banks typically. Once you get to properties that have loan sizes beyond a million dollars, you then start to become attractive and qualifying for um, agency financing. So Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and even in, in HUD loans themselves. When you can qualify for those agency loans, the terms get much better. So you're really looking at non-recourse financing lower interest rates, you know, longer amortization periods, um, longer interest-only periods. And so once you get large enough, the terms start getting better than um, even residential mortgages themselves. So there is a bit of a difference between residential to then this kind of gap up to, you know, a million dollars of loan balance and then the larger mortgage, which is why we typically target properties that are usually 100 units or more, one, because of the loan size, but also because of economies of scale as well. I know I have done in the past lending on on that type of property, and it is a lot different, and it is a lot, it's amazing um, how, like you said, you can add value to a property, so, which is totally opposite of how you do it with a single family or, you know, one to four unit, which is what I deal with today. After the break, we're going to talk more with Spencer Gray about his company and what they do and a little bit how you can get involved. Hi, this is Rick Ripma, your hardworking mortgage guide, Advisors Mortgage Group. You've heard me on the radio for nearly a decade now, speaking to a loyal audience about mortgages in my industry for a sustained period of time has allowed me to partner with and save money for so many people. The industry is always changing, and so are the do's and don'ts for first-time and repeat home buyers. Because I believe in helping and educating, I also host my own show right here on Freedom 95. I'd love it if you'd join me every Saturday at 3.30, 
We'll dive deep into the trends of the ever-fluid mortgage world. And as always, I'd love to talk and see how I could save your family money and stress. Please call me at 317-215-7600 or visit hardworkingmortgageguy.com. That's Rick Ripma, your hardworking mortgage guy at Advisors Mortgage Group. Call me. 317-215-7600. Branch NMLS number 33041. Rick Ritma's NMLS number 664589. Equal housing opportunity. Some restrictions apply. Brought to you by Advisors Mortgage Group, where we believe the more you know about financing a home, the less stressful buying and refinancing will be. Welcome back, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm here with Spencer Gray, with he's the president of Gray Capital LLC, and we're talking about you know the commercial properties, not any buildings over five units is what we're talking about. And that's what your company does, and it's a it's very interesting. And I know that one of the things for somebody to get involved in your company to be an investor, mm-hmm. I think it's called an accredited in- yeah. investor. What is that, and how does somebody become an accredited? Yeah, you know, it, it's really a product of um, you know the SEC um, and their rules on you know who can participate in certain types of investment offerings. Um, and there was a big change back in 2012. Um, the Jobs and Tax Act was passed that really allowed for um, you know kind of the crowdfunding that you hear about today and kind of raising money online. It changed some of the rules. Um, so you know, in the past. Um, someone could participate in a like a real estate syndication, which is essentially kind of what we're putting together, a partnership with a lot of different um, passive investors. Um, you wouldn't necessarily have to be an accredited investor, but you would have to have some sort of experience. But the, the sponsor, like the company, Gray Capital, we would be limited to how we could discuss the investment offering. We couldn't advertise it. We couldn't go out and tell people, hey, we have a, a property that we're buying. Do you want to invest? We'd be limited to discussing that. Um, but when they changed the rules, they allowed for um, a different type of securities exemption, is what they call it. So where we can actually we can advertise our investment offerings, we can go on, you know, go on the internet and say, hey, we've got this great investment offering, come and check it out. Um, but because we do that, we are now only limited to accepting accredited investors. And what an accredited investor is, there's no tests that they're made well there technically is a test you can take but it's it's more of do you do you already qualify and there's two basic um, rules or, or tests one is a net worth test so if you have a net worth over a million dollars you are automatically an accredited investor or if you are a single individual with an income over $200,000 for the last, I believe, two or three years, you would qualify, or $300,000 as a married couple. Um, so not to get into kind of the frustrations with the SEC, but it's essentially rules to kind of protect investors from themselves. Um, with the idea that, you know, there are some bad actors out there and you don't want to make bad investments. Now, I don't think someone who has just because they have more money necessarily makes them more sophisticated uh, to make their own investment decisions. But according to the SEC, they've drawn the line there. They've changed the rules a little bit. There are some tests you can take, but you, it's more of you have to be li- a licensed security broker. So usually individuals don't have the time um, to go down that road and get licensed to sell securities, which is the only way to do it unless you're making the income or net worth tests. Okay. And so who checks that? Who makes sure that that investor yep. is that, qualified? That, that, that's a good question. So in, in the past, it was literally, it was a self-accreditation. There would be a form and you would check a box. It would ask you, are you accredited? And you would just check the box. There was no verification. 
Now it has changed the way we do it is you have to provide some kind of verification. And the easiest way and what most investors do is they um, you can provide a letter from either your CPA, um, your attorney, or your you know your stockbroker that basically says it's short, you know, couple sentences, this person is based on my knowledge as a professional, this individual is accredited. And then that that checks that box. So I can't just have my mom do it or anything well, like that. unless your mom's a CPA. We've had people try to say, "I'm a CPA. Can I write my own letter?" We're like, we wish, but uh, yeah. we gotta, we gotta, you know, don't want the SEC knocking on our no, door. No, no, that's that's not. That's not a Please good thing. stay away. Yes, you don't want that. I I know for me in mortgages, it's like anybody because you read about it and people do stupid things yeah. and end up committing mortgage fraud and all that. There is no mortgage worth committing mortgage fraud and not being able to do mortgages. Exactly. And there's, I'm sure there's no investor worth doing that over and, no. and losing it. You can't do business anymore. It just no. doesn't. And, and we, you know, we're, we're split because on one hand, um, I'm very passionate about working with individuals who are trying to allocate you know their resources to real estate and oftentimes it's the non-accredited investors who could benefit the most from these types of investments and on the flip side of the coin it's the larger investors who are going to you know move the needle in terms of us you know fundraising to you know if we're going to buy a multi-million dollar apartment community certainly you know investor that's going to write a you know million dollar check obviously you know they can do more for us than someone who can write a $25,000 check um, but I I kind of I'm more excited about the guys who need only the one to write that $25,000 check and get them into real estate um, because they're usually working harder, you know, full time. and They don't have the time to go out, do all the research on finding a property, managing it, you know, put all, you know, nights and weekends in because um, they're already working a full time job. Right. Um, so, you know, there we've, we've been working on some programs of where we can allow um, non-accredited investors in alongside our accredited investors. Um, but it, it it's again, it can be a it's a process being on the right side of the SEC. And so for, for now, only our projects are only open to accredited investors. Yeah. And, I, and I agree with you. I, I've had rental property in the past, and I, I learned that I shouldn't have rental property yeah. without a rental. I have to have a manager because I can't do it. I don't have time. And I don't want I don't want to go over on Saturday or three o'clock in the morning and and plunge a toilet. Yeah, you know it's just not for me. So, I what you're doing I think is like oh this is a great way for somebody who would like to be in real estate, which is a great investment as we can see this last year or two yeah. has been phenomenal. And it's if they don't have to manage it, you manage it. You take care of the what I think is the worst part of it, and they get to take advantage of the best part of it. Exactly. And, and not only that is it, it's a very efficient with your time because you need to factor in your time. How much are you going to put into that property? You're spending all your nights and weekends, you know, starting out adding up your hours and all of a sudden you're not paying yourself that much. Maybe right. you're getting, you know, $200, $300 a month from that property, but you're probably spending, you know, hours doing that. But it's also um, leveraging the experience of a group that does real estate full time. This is all we do. You know, this is all we, right. you know, live, breathe and, you know, sleep real estate in just every single day. And I had asked myself when we were, I was getting into real estate, you know, was I going to be able to do a better job compared to, you know, a group that had been doing it for years and, you know, had a track record and it wasn't going to be their first time. How much, because you look at your potential return on a real estate investment, you do it all yourself and you say, well, you know, I'm not paying a manager. Um, I'm going to get a higher rate of return. Um, but then factor in the risk of what you don't know, the mistakes that you might make, and you're going to you know pay for your education, which is fine. But is the objective to um, 
have a second job and, and learn every single piece about managing a property? Or is the objective of I want to invest in real estate and allocate myself to real estate and reap all the benefits of you know owning a real asset with tax benefits, cash flow, um, to be diversified away from the stock market? You can achieve all of that without swinging a hammer and you know learning how to be a plumber on the weekends. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful thing. The uh, the best way for somebody to get a hold of you if they want to find out more about this is your website, which is yeah, Gray Capitals a G R A Y Gray Capital um, LLC dot com. Um, you know we do have a fund if anyone wanted to, wants to learn about it, it's even easier. Um, just Gray dot fund. You can type it directly into their into their browser. Um, but yeah, those would be the two kind of fastest ways to get in touch with fund. us. Yep. That's, that's, yeah, I didn't know that. That's a good one. I yeah, like I know. GoDaddy, they suggested, I'm like, well, that, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, that's Easy a, enough. Yeah. That's why they do that. Yeah. yeah. So this, 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 this question, it's like, so what is a real estate syndication? Yeah. So real estate syndication in, let me qualify. I didn't know, I hadn't heard the term real estate syndication until after I had been involved in a couple of real estate <laughs> syndications. It's essentially just a partnership. Um, oh, think about a partnership, you know, you and I, we, uh, we're going to go out, we want to buy real estate, but I'm going to be the active investor. I'm going to find the deal, run it, try to get the financing. Um, but you're going to provide the capital to do it. Um, now in a real estate syndication, typically it's not just one passive investor. It's, it's usually a pool of investors. The idea being we're all, we have a similar goal and objective. We want to invest in, you know, a large apartment community, but individually, you know, we don't have the capital as an individual to go out and buy that property. Or if you were extremely well off, maybe you did have the money, but you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You rather diversify, make a smaller investment. So it's, it's a pool of investors pursuing, you know, a common objective, which is typically either, you know, a single property or a portfolio of properties. I've, I've always wondered, and I, I don't know why I never looked it up, but it, it makes sense. It sounds, I don't know, it sounds more difficult than it actually is. It doesn't, I mean, when you explain it, it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Just a bunch of people who get together and invest in real estate. You know, it, it uh, the, you know, the old school way of doing it, um, people call it, you know, the kind of the country club method. So, you know, I, I buy, I, I'm in the real estate business. I'm hanging out at the country club and I've got, you know, 10 buddies who are, you know, making decent money and say, Hey guys, I've got, I know a building, you know, in town, why don't we all pool our money together and go buy it? I'll take care of, you know, the financing, I'll put the business plan, I'll manage it. You guys just ship in a little, in a little bit and let's all do this together. That's kind of how it originated. Okay. Um, it, you know, certainly was more institutional Nationalized and you know people have been syndicating you know for a while, but typically relatively privately. And it, again, coming back going back to 2012 um, when they passed the the Tax and Jobs Act or, or the the uh, basically allowed for crowdfunding, it really kind of opened the floodgates of where there's now you can go online, you can see syndicators who you know are publicly advertising these partnerships, which is great because there's a lot of people doing it. You also need to be careful because there's a lot of uh, folks that are, you know, syndicating a project for the for the first time. You want to make sure. Th th really, this is important when you're looking at investing in syndication. If it sounds like it's right for you, it's much more important to do your due diligence on the sponsor or the company that is going to be running the deal rather than the, the actual property itself. Obviously, that's important too. But it's you. It, it you want to think of it as more of betting on the jockey rather than the horse, and you want to make sure you have an experienced team, and it's not their first real estate project, and they're going to get learn. They're going to buy their education using your money. Right. So there's definitely an elevated level of risk, but we've seen a growth of kind of this syndication business really over the last decade or so. What you said makes total sense. You you want the 
if you if you research the people and the people you decide on you know what they're doing they're going to do the right things they're going to find the right properties yeah if you find somebody who's new at it they may i mean i've seen it i've seen people go and just themselves they want to buy a rental property and they go buy and they buy bad properties yeah and it's you need somebody who knows what they're doing so What's the difference between a syndication and a, I think it's a RIT, which is real yeah, like estate REIT. investment yeah. trust? Yeah. So the you know they're similar in the sense that you know they're both passive vehicles. You know I would say a REIT is the most passive vehicle because you can go on you know whatever your stock broker brokerage you use, you can buy a, you know Mid America Apartment Trust or whichever REIT that you would like to buy in an instant, and you can buy it for relatively low cost of cap, relatively cheaply, you know just buy a share. Um, the big differences, though, are you lose a lot of the benefits to real estate when you're buying a REIT. Because really, you're not buying, you're not investing in the real estate. You're investing in a company. And so it's much more, it's paper real estate, essentially. There are no tax benefits um, when it comes to REITs. So like when we put a syndication together, it's a partnership. So all of the um, depreciation, for example, that passes through to an investor in a syndication, whereas a REIT, you receive your dividend, but it's you know comes to you as you know fully uh, ta- taxable dividend that you're paying regular income tax. On a syndication, we have so much depreciation that distributions are almost always in the first five to seven years. There's enough depreciation to shelter that income tax. So if you actually okay. get your K-1 tax document, it actually shows you have a loss for that year. Even though if you've received you know, a large distribution, you actually have a negative number, um, according to the IRS, that continues to be carried forward. You lose that advantage when you are investing um, in a real estate investment trust. So th- yeah. th- those are some of the, you know, the big advantages. Also, REITs, you know, they're on the stock market, so they have exposure to stock market volatility. You look back in um, during the pandemic in 2020, REITs, the value of the REITs plummeted. Um, but when we looked at our properties, since we're in private markets, so there's not day-to-day, you know, minute-to-minute, second-by-second trading, well, you know, we had concerns because we didn't know where the economy was going to be going. We didn't know if people could pay rents, but our, our values stayed the same. Right. And we ended up getting through it, and everything was great, and the values went up 30 to right. 40%. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, was all, it was all good. It ended up being all good. Yeah. So what's the difference, or what are the risks associated with a larger building over the smaller building? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the it, there can seem like there can be more problems because it's like, well, there's a big building. There can be what can go wrong. You know, the, what if you have to replace, you know, 15 roofs? Um, you know, the, a single-family home, it's, it's simpler in a sense you've got everything, you know, right there. You have one roof to replace. Um, on the flip side of that, though, on a large multifamily apartment, apartment yeah, you may have more buildings and, and maybe more roofs, but you may have 10 to 20 units under that one roof. So sure, you have to replace a roof, but compared to a single family home, you may have 20 roofs that you have to replace. Um, also, if uh, a single family home, if someone, you have to evict someone or they, they move out, you go from 100% occupied to 0% occupied overnight. And you're all of a sudden on the hook for that mortgage, paying all the expenses. Whereas in an apartment building, one person moves out, one person gets evicted. Well, you've got 100 other units. So you've went from 100% occupied to 99%. Um, so there, there, are, there are complexities with larger properties, um, but there's also the economies of scale to, um, to really address those. And that's, again, why we like kind of 100 units and more. And really kind of 200 units is like a really nice sweet spot because we can afford to have on-site staff 
at the property every single day. So we have a, a maintenance supervisor, we have a maintenance tech, a property manager, you know, and a leasing agent that work at these properties every single day. So it's not like we have to go and find a contractor to come in and fix something. Right. We've got, we've got, we've got people on the ground every single day. Yeah. And that's a big deal. Cause right now you can't find a contractor. So, and it's hard to find the maintenance, um, crews as well you know that's a major challenge and we're going to continue to see that but um it's nice to have somebody on staff <laughs> yeah i would think so now what, what do you see the current risk in the multi-family market and the real estate market currently so you know there's two ways that, that we've been looking at it you know one um let's just just looking at housing and, and not necessarily the entire economy i mean the supply and demand imbalance is just it's incredible and it's been it's coming to a head now for really the last decade. We just haven't built enough housing. I mean, here in Indianapolis last year, we saw 5,000 unit apartment units be absorbed in the market. We only built 2,500. We're at our lowest level of construction in Indianapolis since 2012 oh, for wow. apartments. And our population continues to grow and rents continue to go up. So that, so in terms of housing, that looks great. But in terms of the macro economy and specifically the Federal Reserve and interest rates, we have not been in a rising interest rate environment since 2018. And when that happened, you know, a recession happened not too much further after. Now, COVID really caused it, but still many would say there would have been a recession anyway. The Federal Reserve can really ruin an economy. And the way that they, the steps that they are going to have to take to bring inflation in, they're going to have to raise interest rates. And that, to me, has exponentially increased the amount of risk if you're using certain strategies, like if you're using a floating rate loan right now, now you may have been able to get a good interest rate, you know, low threes, even still today, it could be five and a half, six percent in the next month or two. And if you're not anticipating that, you could be left holding the bag because, you know, the valuations are so high, cap rates are low, which means the cash flow is skinnier. If your amount of debt service goes up, you could be, you know, blow your break even point very quickly. And that risk wasn't apparent three or six months ago. Right. And I don't know if everyone has really gotten up to speed. Yeah. And that's a little different than like we do arm, arm rates, but that you're talking about floating rates, which are basically a month to month. Exactly. Month to month. Rate, not, not something that's, if you could get a locked in rate for five, seven, eight, ten 10 years, that's totally that's different. Totally different. Yeah. Totally different. We're running out of time, but I wanted to thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Um, again, Spencer, best way to find any information yeah, greatcapitalllc.com. And uh, if you want to sign up for our newsletter, it's greatcapitalllc.com slash newsletter. Um, yeah, just pop over, take a look. And again, we've got a podcast, materials, and happy to hop on a phone call, Zoom, and uh, have a conversation about real estate investing. Love talking about real estate. So, And I, 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 I've just started because I didn't know about you before, and a friend of ours introduced us. The information is very, your information is extremely good. It's extremely well put together. I can't encourage people enough to go, to go. They need to go do that. Again, thanks so much for joining no, Rick, me. It was, it. it was a pleasure. I appreciate the invitation. This was awesome. Well, thank you. And uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, I'm Rick Ritma with the Hardworking Mortgage Guys and Advisors Mortgage Group. And uh, you can go to hardworkingmortgageguys.com. That's hardworkingmortgageguys.com. Thanks again for joining me. Have a great day. At Advisors Mortgage Group, we have been coming alongside and helping families with their mortgage needs for years. Hello, this is Rick Ritma, your hardworking mortgage guy. You've heard me on Freedom 95 for nearly a decade now. We believe there are already enough hassles and headaches that come with the moving process. So let my team and I handle your mortgage for you. 
We have a proven track record of helping families to make the mortgage process as seamless as possible. Call me at 317-215-7600 or visit hardworkingmortgageguy.com. That's 317-215-7600.